Let me pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather as your people in this place. And Father, we ask that you may quiet our hearts and minds so that we may take in what your word says to us and that we may live it in our lives. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I wonder who's encouraged you in your Christian life. I wonder who's been, in a sense, a hero of the faith that's inspired you to press on. Perhaps a family member or a close friend. Perhaps someone at church in some way or other. Perhaps a minister, Bible study group leader, whatever. I wonder who it was for you. For me, it was a faithful Sunday school teacher. I grew up in a small community and the Sunday school room was a tin shack on a concrete floor that some farmer had built and uh, had a very faithful Sunday school teacher. And as a result of his work, then in the long run, my whole family became Christians. But later on, when the area started to change and more people started moving into it, um, we actually had enough for a small youth group of a Sunday morning. And uh, by the time I was about 14, the youth group leader that uh, worked with us would take us once a month into the city to begin learning how to be open-air preachers. And so through all those experiences, it was a great encouragement to keep pressing on in the Christian faith as well as realising just how important it is to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Well, as we've just heard in that reading from Hebrews 11, we're journeying through an amazing list of people that are faith heroes, we might say. And it takes your breath away as you listen to the chapter, doesn't it? You can't but be moved as you hear about the experiences of all those people as uh, we heard in the reading. And the chapter begins, in a sense, on a, on a high, doesn't it? With a sort of what we might call a definition of faith. Let me read it again. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain about what we do not see. And then it quickly moves into a key implication in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But then it boils on, doesn't it, to look at practical outworking of faith in the lives of so many Old Testament people. So in verse 7 we read about Noah, isn't it? By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. And later on, verse 24, by faith Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short while. But at the end of the chapter, we see that the author is keen to show us that these people did not receive in totality and completion what was promised to them. Verse 39 mentions that and then gives the reason in verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Well, let's look and explore the chapter a little bit more to see the encouragement that it's bringing to us. And it is encouraging to hear that roll call of Old Testament saints who are exercising their faith in the face of death. And you couldn't miss it in verses 35 and following. 
Hearing of their faithful endurance gives us confidence to persevere in the midst of the trials and persecutions we may indeed face and are facing. See, overall, Hebrews is really concerned, profoundly concerned, with the battle, in a sense, between faith and unbelief. Now, if you recall back in the wilderness generation, after coming out of Egypt, there was a judgment. The people of that generation failed to enter the rest that God had promised, that is, the promised land, because of their unbelief, as chapter 3, verse 19 says. And then the author then takes from that to go on to urge everyone in the people he's writing to to ensure that no one will miss out on God's rest through a sinful, unbelieving heart. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care lest there be any of you in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Or again in chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And then a couple of cha- chapters later, in chapter 6, the author is urging us to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And of course Abraham is given as a great example for Christians to follow. But when you put all that together, you see that in the book of Hebrews, faith isn't a special gift for a few heroes. Rather, it's the only acceptable and appropriate response to the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. Faith is absolutely necessary. It's not some optional extra. And that central theme of faith is what's emphasised in chapter 11 because the chapter starts and ends with Old Testament saints being commended for their faith. Verse 1, now faith, etc. Verse 2, for by it, that is by that faith, the people of old received their commendation. And similarly at the end of the chapter, all these, though commended through their faith, and so on. So the chapter begins and ends on that note. It's also worth noting that The word faith occurs some 24 times just to make sure that we get the point (laughs) that this is a really important issue that's being looked at in the chapter. Well, as we've been doing right through, we've been asking where does these passages fit in the flow of the book? And if we ask it of this passage, we see that it forms between two encouragements that urge the readers to faithful endurance. That is, true faith will persevere to the end. Hence, as chapter 10 ends, the author contrasts enduring faith with one that doesn't persevere. Habakkuk 2.4 is used as the basis for this contrast. So we read in verse 38 of chapter 10, quoting from Habakkuk, But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. They're the words of God to Habakkuk. And then the author of Hebrews says, But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Chapter 12 opens with the same sort of encouragement as Christians are told to run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the leader, the founder and perfecter of faith. 
Hence, this list of heroes of faith in chapter 11 provides examples of people who have remained faithful through persecutions and difficult times, severe difficult times. Now, chapter 11 is really aiming to encourage the readers and hence us to persevere. But as he does that, it actually has given us a bit of an account of Israel's history from the beginning of the Old Testament period to its end. Did you recognise some of the things mentioned? So we've got creation being mentioned, we've got Abel, we've got Noah, we've got Abraham, Jacob and Esau, Joseph. So you've got all these people from Genesis. Then you move on to Exodus, don't you, with Moses. And then you go into the conquest of the land with the period of Joshua and Judges. And then David and Samuel are mentioned. Samuel, the, the big-time big prophet. David, the first real king of the promised line in Israel. And, of course, then you end up with lots of things about prophets and other things in the rest of the chapter. So it's really moving us through the whole of the Old Testament, in fact. And as he provides these examples of faith, they are really all um, revealing the redemptive purpose of salvation that runs throughout the Old Testament. Because God's big plan is to make for himself a people who are marked by faith and obedience. And this same God that we read about in the Old Testament is the God that has now spoken by his Son. That's why chapter 1 begins by recalling it. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many places, in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. See what the author's saying? He's saying that the true descendants of these Old Testament faithful people are those trusting in Christ for salvation, not those who've returned to Old Testament practice, in effect abandoning Christ. And the key reason for this truth is simply that the Old Testament people of faith looked beyond their own time and circumstances because... They were waiting for the final fulfilment of God's promises, which in Old Testament terms would come through the Messiah, through the anointed one, the anointed one of David's line. And as the New Testament opens, we see that that is Jesus, hence the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. But the chapter is saying that each one lived by faith, but none of them received what was promised. Their faith certainly had partial blessing in their lifetime, but the full extent of the promises awaited completion in Christ. That is, in the age of fulfilment, or as the author shows us at the beginning of the book, in the last days. So, let's have a little look at verses 8 to 19. These are verses that focus on Abraham on his faithful perseverance. And as they do, as they, these verses do that, they draw our attention to the history of God's promises. We see this initially as Abraham obeys God's call to leave his own country and he becomes a migrant. 
or in way we'd express it today, he becomes a refugee, <laughs> moving along through the uh, ancient crescent cup from Iraq, um, Iran sort of territory up through top to what was Syria now and then down. But he lives as a stranger. And then we're told about Isaac, the promised child who was conceived beyond human expectation because Sarah is barren, because Isaac is a child of promise. And then we have a little section, verses 13 to 16, which are highlighting how the fulfilment of all of what's being promised to Abraham that we heard about in the Genesis 12 reading is delayed. It's not going to happen in Abraham's time. And then to even test his persevering faith more is, of course, the command from God to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice in verses 17 and 18. Now, it's an interesting slice of all that took place in Abraham's time. But the key was in verse 14 how they were longing for a country of their own. And that longing for something beyond becomes a witness, a witness to the Christian community of the reality of the heavenly homeland, as verse 16 tells us. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And see the note that comes after? Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And of course by the time you get to the end of the Bible, isn't it? In Revelation, what do you see coming down out of heaven? A city. You see the link up with the promises. So the faith of uh, Abraham and others like him is, is a faith that's testifying and demonstrating to the readers of Hebrews a significant encouragement for their lives, their actions, their deaths, all provide convincing evidence of the role of faith, of persevering faith, the role that it plays in the history of salvation. Because that Genesis 12 passage forms the, the beginning of the rest of the biblical story as God goes, in a sense, about recreating after sin has entered the world. But as you read through Hebrews 11, it also helps us to understand the tension between the promise of glory, that is the completion, the fulfilment of all the promises, and of course the opposition of the world that keeps wanting to distract, to take us away, to make us doubt in the promises. Remember the original readers of Hebrews were in danger of drifting drifting back into Old Testament sort of law and um, practice, in effect showing that they were doubting God and the fact that he'd keep his promise. And that's particularly the case in the light of their experience of suffering. So these past examples of faithful people often facing seemingly hopeless situations is meant to show how God is totally reliable and that his word of promise is completely trustworthy. And so the author is saying to the readers and hence to us, be encouraged, persevere, persevere in our faith because the God who is promised is faithful. 
And of course we've seen it even more so than those faith because we've seen Jesus Christ. So Hebrews 11 is urging us to grasp hold of godly faith and let it be evidenced in our lives because that will both sustain us as well as encouraging one another. So let's go back again to the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. It speaks about the nature of the Christian faith. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain about what we do not see. Now the Old Testament people listed in chapter 11 are commended for that sort of faith. Right? They're commended for their faith as seen through the lens of verse 1. So what is it saying? Well, it's not giving a, you know, a complete treatment of the nature of faith. You can go to any Christian library and you can find a whole stack of volumes on faith by itself. But rather what it's doing is providing some key marks of faith for us to take note of to encourage us and help us to persevere. And the first mark is being sure, certainty. And that's what really forms, in a sense, the backdrop, the, the basis for all the actions of the people that are mentioned in chapter 11. And combined with that, of course, is the emphasis on short-term obedience with this uh, long-term hope accompanying it, a hope that in trusting God they would they would know and ultimately experience the fulfilment of all his promises, even if that doesn't take place in their immediate lives. See, that's why hope is spoken of here as what we do not see. Chapter 10 highlights this, uh, verse 10 highlights this hope in this way. For Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. See, so just ponder Abraham again he leaves everything he's familiar with right so just put yourself in your position God calls you to leave Robinson I know that is so unimaginable but he calls you to leave Robinson and go somewhere and he doesn't tell you where you're going just you know put all your stuff in the caravan and follow the directions He's trusting God that he'll fulfil this promise about inheriting the land. But of course Abraham doesn't even have a caravan, does he? He just has tents. He lives an unsettled life. He's a resident alien in a land that he doesn't own, yet it's been promised to him. In fact, the only piece of land he ends up owning is the place where he buries his wife. So how does he sustain his faith? By waiting expectantly for the heavenly God-built city. That's what we're told. So God is looking forward to that well-established city which we know comes at the end of the Bible in Revelation. That city will have firm foundations which will last forever and so ends the transient earthly life that Abraham experiences and we experience. It'll enable him to live as a citizen rather than as a foreigner. Paul in the writing to Philippians says, our citizenship is in heaven. And of course, it means finally enjoying the rest of God, the rest promised way back in Genesis and repeated now, it's a challenge, isn't it, 
It's a challenge for us all. Paul picks up the same challenge at the beginning of Colossians 3 where he says, set your hearts on things above, not on things on earth. And the book of Hebrews has talked about that in terms of thinking about Jesus sitting at the right-hand side of God. So do we regard our heavenly home as our true home? That has lots of implications, doesn't it? See, where are we investing in? Are we investing in our earthly home or our heavenly home? What takes more time, effort, resources, our earthly home or our heavenly home? What's the thing which shapes our priorities as we form them? What's the thing which shapes our mindset? Our earthly home or our heavenly home? See, it's an incredible challenge that comes to us as we think about that. And that's why the chapter is also highlighting that true faith is costly faith. Let me read verse 6 again. Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, the author is saying that true faith believes God exists. But you see, it's not believing in any sort of God. That's what the whole of the, uh, all the rest of the Hebrews leading up to this point has been highlighting. It's the God revealed in his spoken word, particularly in the final word that comes through Jesus Christ. And so it's costly because it's saying that every other religious point of view is wrong. But of course Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, it is costly because we are saying that there is no other way. No other way. No other name under heaven given to men by which we may be saved, as the Apostle says in Acts. Think about Noah. You know, in a relatively hot environment, God says... Mate, I'm going to flood the world, you see, and um, I want you to build an ark. <laughs> well, you can just imagine what his neighbours might have said to him, isn't it? Oh, Noah, you're crazy. It hasn't rained for three years. What are you building an ark for? He would have met with a lot of ridicule. So faith is costly even at that sort of level. Or ponder Moses' life. His mum puts him in little baskets and sets him sail on the river amongst the reeds hoping there's no crocodiles around, I assume. Um, and, and Moses, in the end, wants to be mistreated with God's people rather than enjoy all the pleasures that he had um, through being adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. And then later on in the chapter in verse 35 and so on, look at the people we read about there. Um, you know... Uh, People quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword and so on. But then women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment and so on. Costly, isn't it? Think about Daniel. Think about his mates who refused to bow down and they had the fiery furnace to contend with. Or Daniel 
being thrown into a den of lions. Being a Christian is costly. But what makes it worthwhile? Well, it's the assurance of things unseen, as the chapter begins with. For faith gives what we hope for the force of a present reality. It enables the person of faith to enjoy the certainty that the future holds these heavenly realities and they will be experienced in their fullness. So again, the challenge to us is, are we committed to a costly faith? A faith that is going to impact us day by day, hour by hour. Are we prepared to have a cost associated with our faith? Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and adulterous generation, then I will be ashamed of you when I come again with my holy angels. Faith is costly. Friends, it is an amazing chapter, chapter 11. There's so much more we could have explored in this chapter. Perhaps this week it might be good to read through the chapter again and reflect on its challenges and encouragements. And particularly as we head to Easter, we'll of course be reminded of the very basis of our faith, isn't it? The death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why we can know for certain that our faith is sure, <clears throat> that we can trust it. So Hebrews 11 is wanting to offer its readers and hence us a fuller understanding of the faith that we profess so that we might press on, <clears throat> that we might persevere. And so as we commit ourselves to Christ, to God's promises in Christ, Forgiveness, you know how chapter 1 began. After he made purification for sin, he sat down. The work finished. Chapter 10 talked about being cleansed. As we take hold of that, forgiveness, cleansing, eternal life, we're caught up in a certain future invading the present. Just like Christ as the God of eternity invades time and space in the Incarnation. So this forward-looking capacity of faith enables us to move courageously and confidently into an unseen future, resting on the trustworthy word of God. Faith in this certain future, that's our hope, releases us to obey God, isn't it? Irrespective of our current situations or trouble. Committed faith looks to the future then acts in the present on the basis of that future. Committed faith expresses itself in persevering faithfulness to God. We need to be encouraged as well as take up the challenge of living out true faith. Let me pray for us. Dear God, we thank you again that you have revealed yourself in your word to us. Father, we feel the impact of a chapter like Hebrews 11. We feel the impact in the unworthiness of our own lives. Yet we know that the people mentioned were not perfect. 
that they were still sinful. And yet they're listed as examples of faith. Father, revive us by your spirit. Renew us in your strength so that our confidence may not shake when we think about the future. That it may not shake when we meet opposition by those around us. That it may not shake when we boldly proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.